There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have merch. Check out the AmericanGlutton.net shop. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. A number of people have come up to me wearing American Glutton merch, and nothing fills my heart with more pride than seeing somebody in one of these t-shirts. And I've been stopped on the street and asked where to get it when somebody sees me in an American Glutton hoodie. Well, you can get it all at the shop on AmericanGlutton.net. And my favorite t-shirt, yesterday it was tomorrow, right now, is up now. Get it while supplies last. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. My guest today is Jake Muse. He is the owner and founder of Maui Nui Venison. You can find him on Instagram at Maui Nui Venison. Jake Muse, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Oh, it's such a such a pleasure to be here, man. I we, we appreciate it. And um yeah, excited to share a few stories. Yeah, dude, I'm excited to talk to you. I want to say first, I've been on like a, a health thing for a long time. I lost a lot of weight and I was pretty, I have been pretty dialed in for a number of years and I'd also been hunting. And when the pandemic hit and okay, like I'd gone hunting and I always ate something that I caught, but mostly I have four daughters and they're squeamish and I would like you know, kind of lie to them occasionally and say it was steak and serve them elk, which they always liked quite a bit. But when when the pandemic hit, at first I was terrified. Like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And we had a freezer full of quail, elk and wild boar. And we had a ton of rice. And I was like, 
everybody's coming home. Nobody's leaving. We're not leaving. And we didn't leave the house for a number of months. And we just went through all that meat. And that was the best I've felt in a long time. So I'm super into game meat, but I want to, I want to know how, because when I go to the store and I see elk in the store, I know that is different from what I traded with a buddy for, I I didn't actually harvest the elk. A buddy of mine did. And I traded some wild boar for the elk and, and it just is different. How, how are you getting me wild venison? Sure. Which Uh, is incredible by the way. Yeah. Well, Hey, that's such a, like, I didn't, I didn't, that doesn't come up in your bio. That's badass. I I didn't know that was going to be a part of this conversation, which makes it way more fun. So to answer your question, Hawaii, Hawaii has some, what you're seeing in the store is a farm raised elk, probably from New Zealand. There's a few, you know, throughout North America, but they are farm raised. And legally, that's the only way to do that throughout the continent. And the reason being is an elk, a pronghorn, a black buck, whatever it is, if it is a native animal, i.e. like like that elk is from Montana, that animal is owned by the public, managed by the public. It is, it is a, it's public property, right? So that's why there's such strict rules on the number of tags and all of the different things you have to do to be able to like go out and and harvest that animal. It's hard to get an elk tag too. I mean, in California, it's, it's damn hard. Well, they try and they they gather enough data and those wildlife biologists try and make a decision every year that says like, okay, to maintain populations, we think it's okay that the public takes this number of animals this year. And they look at like winter kill and predation and they're constantly trying to measure, okay, how do we properly manage this animal? So uh, fortunately and all. For the most part, unfortunately, that's not the case in Hawaii. So Hawaii's largest like mammal is a bat this big. Oh wow. So everything in Hawaii, especially deer, have been introduced. They are an invasive species. Um, and as an invasive species, they're not a game, like quote unquote game animal. Um, there's no bag limits, there's no rules. Um because they are in a situation where, unlike Montana, where there's some natural balance, i.e. predation and winter kill and all these different things, um, there's zero balance here. There's no predators. There's perfect weather year round. Um, And then on top of that, specifically with what we do, uh, they happen to introduce one of the only deer species in the world that can breed year round. Right. The axis deer. Yeah. So where in Montana and these different places you have an animal that like has a pronounced breeding season and a fawning season or calving season. And that's what gets born for the year. Every 238 days, this population is increasing essentially like exponentially. So the to directly answer your question, the regulations here, i.e. an invasive species on private property with usda oversight that's ultimately what took us a long time to be able to do it is we had to bring in the usda to like do this process um that combination of those three things allows us to be able to ship you and the family access deer it's wild man it's really wild because there's there is nowhere else that you can get this this is i mean 
the closest the closest I can get to this is trading with a friend yeah. or or knowing somebody who harvested something and getting some meat off them or being yeah. in the right place at the right time. That's as close as you can get. And now you can just buy it online, yeah. which is really wild. Yeah. Um, the the nutritional benefits, too, for me, who, you know, I'm I'm not anti fat at all, but I but I do. I do want to increase my omega threes, decrease my omega sixes. A lot of what what I get out of meat because I do eat a lot of meat is omega six. So I have to try to get the leaner cuts of of meat, which to be honest don't taste great. You know, I can get super lean ground beef, and that tastes pretty good. But you know, and then you got something with just way more bang for your buck with uh, with something like venison and. Uh, and and then that it's naturally caught too is it's wild that this is a thing. Like I, I never would have imagined that this was gonna be something I would see. Yeah, we I mean, A, our our mission was never like nutrient density. We were gonna find a way to balance populations to benefit like ecosystems, food systems. Like there's some pretty detrimental impacts to having a like fully established population here. It's pretty scary. Um, but we, I remember doing the first, oh, it was Peter. Oh, you've had Peter Atia on the podcast. Yeah. Good buddy. What an awesome guy. Um, awesome guy. And we were testing some of our bone broth and we sent the broth in for testing to like a typical USDA FSIS lab. And then they called us and they're like, oh, these bones have been adulterated. They tested too high in protein per ounce. And we're like, what? Like we didn't put protein powder in there. Like we just sent you broth. Um, and they're like, send us another one. So we sent them another one, tested the exact same way. It's got 33% more like protein per ounce than anything else, um, especially like directly compared to beef. And we were like, wait a second, what is going on? And I already knew kind of the same as you. Like I was a college D1 athlete, played professional volleyball in Europe. And while I was playing at the University of Hawaii, I was able to go to a small island of Molokai and shoot deer and bring them home. And that's what I ate. And I, when I had enough of that stuff, I always felt better. Yeah. I always knew intuitively, like, I should be eating more of that. I shouldn't be going to the cafeteria and eating whatever was at the college cafeterias. Um, and so when we got that data, I was like, wait a second, like, what's going on here and that's when we went and reached out to all of our friends and said like okay who does the most advanced food testing on the planet and at that point it was utah state university doing this incredible like metabolomic testing like they sent us the test results and there were 50 micronutrients that they couldn't even name yet but they knew like this is something we're going to know in the future that's important and then when they sent it back and they're like this thing has you know, 7x EPA, like all of these huge differences and ultimately like less, like you're getting so much more for less. We were just like, oh, wait a second. Like this is an exciting story we now get to tell that helps us ultimately balance populations because that's that's in the end, that's our mission. So yeah, it's been really exciting to see Do what you it think is. It, no, go ahead. It, no, it's, it's super exciting. I want to know just what your thoughts are on if do you think that is the access specific to the access deer or partially also because it's wild 
Yeah. Well, and that's what metabolomic testing is showing is it's a, it's showing you what nutrient density is, but ultimately that's nutrition of place. So it's showing you all of the good phytochemicals that they're getting from the plants and ultimately the soil and how much of that is getting into the meat. So in like Ethan, in five years, me and you are going to be able to grocery store and see two strawberries sitting beside each other. And that strawberry is going to say like have 25 points on it. And the other one's going to be 35 points. And that's going to be like how many good things per calorie you get, like, like nutrient nutrition, like labeling and like how we measure that is going to completely change. When I saw this test, I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. But so to answer your question, I don't actually, it's partially all three. One, axis deer are crazy intelligent. I've seen them walk down like a six foot fence and jump the fence casually just to eat the same plant species on the other side of the fence. And I think it also has to do with the abundance of food here. They're not starving. They're not stressed. So they can save all of their energy for finding the very best food. So they get to go wherever they want. They get to eat the very best stuff. But then on top of that, and after we saw the testing, we dug into this, the slopes of Haleakala here on Maui have some of the world's rarest, most nutrient-dense soils in the way they absorb um, rain and different things. So it's typical... The soil is called an andesol, and inside those soils is another type of soil called a U-stand. So basically, Maui has some of the most fertile soils on the planet. That's why some of the best coffee comes from Hawaii and those different things. So you get this amazing combination of a highly intelligent animal that is living in one of the most like fertile places on the planet. And then what's really cool, if you haven't seen this part of the study, i got to show you. At the end of that study, it showed you all of the benefits of stress-free harvesting. Right. So what happens when that animal dies with under no stress? And it changes the level of antioxidants in your meat. Yeah. So it's just a, I think this is a really cool combination of a really intelligent animal, a very special place, and then a, a system and technique we've built over a long time that helps that animal die under no stress. Yeah, there there's so many things to talk about here because as America gets more and more obese. Yeah. Because there is such a an abundance of calories, they do show that a lot of these people are obese and yet malnourished. Hmm. Which which is counterintuitive. You think if the guy's eating enough, he's getting enough nutrients, but in fact there'll be a lot of deficits. And so, you know, logically, that just shows that the the food that we're eating primarily, a, a lot of that food has that is missing those nutrients. You know, there's a reason why you can eat to the point where your your stomach is taut and yet you're still hungry or you're hungry 20 minutes later. You know, for me, I'm able to mitigate that a lot with protein. Like as long as I get sufficient protein, I'm not hungry. Um, But I'm also pretty darn careful about like getting enough stuff that has nutrition and then even varying my diet when I don't feel like it. You know, I'm a guy who like 
can just get locked into a cycle. Like, well, now I'm interested in broccoli. I'm just going to eat broccoli. And you can't do that forever. You got to switch it up, you know, and I have to force myself to move on to another vegetable. Um, But like, it, it, it is wild that there is, okay, here's, here's, here's another question for you because like, ideally everybody has access to this, right? But that's not possible. It's just really not possible. No, it, well, for us, it's not possible. And again, like if our mission was low cost, high nutrient density food, I'd be looking into like regenerative agriculture and like what conservation efforts can do. Same thing to take care of a place so that that place is healthier so that the food is healthier, right? Regardless of what that's happening, like more nutrient dense food is a function of conservation that can happen. Like there's science behind that, but specifically for what we do, we're trying to balance populations. We're trying to find a place that fits for communities, hunters, ranchers, watersheds. And that ultimately means, you know, in the next year or so, we'll probably be sold out forever. Right. And we'll have like achieved that balance. That doesn't mean the principles and conversations that we've been able to have with our customer base and like yourself can't be expanded. Like, Imagine every single person, like we said, rolling into the grocery store in a few years will understand the true micronutrients that they're getting in their food because they're not all going to dig like they're not going to dig like me and you to figure that out. They want to be told like this thing is better for me than that thing. And if they have that choice and the information is true, <laughs> um, they're going to make the right choice, even if it's a little bit more expensive. Right. Um, so I think. Is there enough for everybody, you know, specifically what we do? No. Is there other invasive species that we're looking at? For sure. But there's a better food system if we all push for it. And there's yeah. there's a system that absolutely produces more good things per calorie in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I, I I guess the system, the the overall industry of food, you know, it is askew in America and we have one side where it's like get calories as cheap as possible and feed everybody and then there's another side where it's like okay now we have all these unintended consequences of overfeeding people nutrient lacking food now we got to medicate them to make up for what they're missing and the excesses they're getting and and then we just kind of hop on that and go like well this is better than starving yeah Yeah. it's better than starving (laughs) okay This is the game we're playing. But I think that it's fascinating to look at stuff like what you're doing and going like, well, there's a paradigm there where there's an alternative. There's a third there's a third row you could go down, which is like nutrient dense food, you know, that's not mass produced. And and like when you're talking about the fact that it's it's harvested in the act of living its life to its fullest versus an animal, you know. I've seen the videos, which I believe they've made illegal of factory farms. They're horrifying. You know, number one, do you really want to eat something that, you know, itself was unhealthy? Like the cows with ulcers that they're pumping antibiotics into their stomachs and they've got these big holes like that to me is not appealing at all versus this animal that's doing what it wants to be doing. Until what's so horrifying, yeah. What's so horrifying about those images is it's not just like 
Peter said this bad. He, Peter said it best. He was like, you can't be healthier than your food. So that like really simple. But when I, now we have kind of a deeper understanding. You also can't be healthier than where your food lives. Right. So you see those images of like those stockyards and everything else and like these huge feeding operations. And I get it. Like people have to be fed. Like, um, but that place isn't healthy. That animal isn't healthy. That animal's not going to be healthy for you. Right. Um, so we feel really, uh, we're so excited to like see the community we're building. Like, and congrats to you too, man. You're building such a, cool community around these conversations and they're really important. Um, and so we're excited to see the community that's being built and understanding that. And even if we can't feed anybody in the end, hopefully they can be part of that catalyst for change for better food systems and expect more from food producers. But when you have this commodity market that is just a race to the bottom for the cheapest priced item, ultimately nutrient density is what's going to come at that cost regardless of like the number of calories you get in the process. Right. So. Yeah. It, it is interesting because, you know, um, you can see stuff in like higher end grocery stores of like Belgium endive and, mm. and it, it, and it's fancy just because I don't know if that's just a type of endive too. Maybe it's grown in Mexico, who knows, but I have been around stuff where it's like, you're paying a little extra because it comes from, somewhere else somewhere slightly more exotic and i never kind of thought of it in a way that like maybe the food actually has better nutrients you know but like that's that's really something to think about cuz something happens in agriculture the there there is a certain amount of nutrition in the soil that goes into the plant and then it takes some effort to get it back there. It doesn't just magically reappear, you, you know? So if you're doing crop after crop after crop, you're going to wind up with a product that actually has less nutrients in it. Yeah. But the, when the, he showed us in that study, the phytochemicals, i.e. like the chemicals that are in plants that are good for you, that then transferred to the meat in them eating them. So in like, I think in like eight months, we're going to be able to say to somebody, oh, if you have one pound of our stuff, you actually get three heads of broccoli with it. You get the phytochemicals that come from broccoli with it. Right. And it, it's like, again, I think it'll, the cost to do this type of nutrient density testing is going down so quickly that we, in the years to come, it's going to happen. Like the... The problem with the system right now is somebody that goes to the length to take care of their place and produce an amazing organic apple, they can't differentiate that based on value, i.e. like how much nutrition, how many good things per calorie based on the other apple beside it. So, But they, they, but they will be able to. Yeah. And what happens when there's a guy that produces the best apples? Well, he can charge more for those apples and his ultimately his conservation practices to produce better food will be rewarded. And that is the complete opposite of a commodity system, right? right? You have a system that is starting to reward like excellence and nutrient density and these individual producers, ranchers, like it, it's almost like an unbundling of the food system. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because I, I got to tell you a lot of the times when I see organic in the store, 
that as a as a label doesn't do it for me. It does it for my wife. My yeah. wife is like, we only buy organic. And then I go to the store and I'm like, which apple looks better to me? I'm going to buy yeah. that apple. You know, that's how I shop. But if it was broken down in the way you're talking about, if there were actual like we studied it and this apple has th this is the nutritional panel of this apple beyond carbohydrates and fiber. Yeah. Right. Because I think that's all you really get in an apple. I would be much more apt to buy the more nutritious apple for sure. Yeah, it's common, brother. And I know the guys are working on it and they are awesome. Yeah. Um, Audacious is this super cool company that that's working on it and a few other folks, but it's like the technology is there. It's getting cheaper. There's being like, there's some large companies starting to adopt it, like Patagonia provisions and all these, like it's coming. And when it happens, it'll, it'll really drive. It's going to create a healthier population without a doubt, because they'll have better choices right in front of them. So that's one of the things we love about like, I selfishly made my venison, like our venison sticks. Yeah. I made them for my kids because when my kids are like headed towards the pantry, I just wanted them to have a better option than whatever they were crap they were going to grab in that pantry. And they do like, I leave those sticks on the counter in front of the pantry and they're so fired up to go outside or do whatever. They just grab the first thing they see. And I have to assume like the vast majority of our population like makes tr nutrition choices like that. They're going to grab whatever's convenient and easy. And if that thing is nutrient dense and better for you, and it's easy enough for them to make that choice, they're going to make the choice. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people will. And I think what will happen is as, as like you said, those companies will get rewarded or those producers will get rewarded and be able to expand. And yeah. with expansion, you'll have more access, you know, I, I do think the access point, I just don't think everybody has access right now. Oh, and, it's such a great question because they definitely don't, man. Yeah. And, and, but I do see a path towards that, you know, I, like a natural path too. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, uh, we don't need the government to get involved and mess it up at all, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It goes really back to like, you're unbundling a food system that brought all of these commodity products together so that like, small producers can start getting a premium for these items sold locally that they know are better because nutrient density can happen locally. And all of a sudden it's worth it again to be a farmer or be like, talk to a kid in school these days, like no, nobody wants to be a farmer. They're like, they, A, they don't even understand how you'd make it, but B, they don't relate it to like taking care of a place. Yeah. And, um, I think that'll change when you can understand like not just the food, but the place you grow these things gets healthier with you in the process. Yeah. Farming, farming has changed too. I mean, it's just in my lifetime, I was talking to my kids recently about a cornfield and, and chasing, having a game of tag in a cornfield. And as a kid, it was like the most exciting place to play tag. Yeah. And, yeah. and they literally said to me, you can't do that. What are you talking about? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, you can't go into a cornfield. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, of course you can. I mean, yeah, you could get chased off by a farmer or something, but if yeah. you're not damaging anything and they said, no, dad, you can't walk into a cornfield. There's no room to walk. And I realized they're right. Corn now grows on top of each other. Like it's so dense. Oh, I never thought of that. It's not planted in rows anymore. 
you know, when we were kids, you'd run through a cornfield. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I just saw a cornfield the other day. I hadn't even thought of that. It's all on top of each other. Like, there's no, they were like, you can't get in. There's no access point. And, and, I, and I was like, wait, what? And I had to go and I went and looked at a cornfield and I was like, you're right. You can't walk into that. It's crazy. Wow. And yeah. that's like, you know, I, again, it's better than starving, but nobody's yeah. been starving here for a long time, <laughs> yeah. right? We're not yeah. starving. So we keep making these innovations towards more instead of innovations towards better, which is yeah. what, what you're talking about. That innovation is super interesting to me. Yeah. At, at the cost of health and at the cost of the health of a place for sure. So right. like pretty simple, like, we need to go the other way. And it, obviously it's easier said than done, but yeah, we, like I mentioned earlier, we, that was no, we had no plans as a function of like what we were trying to do here to have and be a part of those conversations. But if we kind of get to be, I, I'll be the first one to throw some of that stuff on our label, even just to say like this conversation is possible. Yeah. Um, so we're excited to keep going down that path and, and keep, yeah, building community in the process and hopefully, yeah, continue to have these really great conversations. How did you, how did this come about for you? Hmm. Well, actually you'll, you'll appreciate this as a hunter. Um, so got invited to the university of Hawaii to play uh, D one volleyball, got uh, it's a local term called Hanai, but got adopted by a local family here. Cause I was currently on the East coast of Canada. So way too far to like go back and forth. And that local family lived on the island of Molokai, which is this small island. And that island has 7,000 people and 70,000 deer. Molokai is an island that's mostly off limits, right? Yes. To, that's yeah. not a touristy island. Uh, it's not It's not somewhere most tourists go. I, I got really lucky to be like in, invited to like kind of live with a family there and and ultimately met my wife there. And just an amazing place. And their relationship with deer is one of them, like a lot. 10 to one deer to people. 10 to one deer. And so when I originally got there, it was like, oh, it's amazing. This is this amazing resource. It cost me 50 bucks to jump on the plane, hang out with the boys for the weekend, harvest a bunch of deer, fill up every cooler we could, go back, stuff the college dorm rooms, like your freezer, their freezer, everybody's freezer got stuffed with venison. Like it was the best thing ever. It was so valuable um, and felt amazing for the period of time we got to eat it. And I think it was my third or fourth year in UH. And I went to Molokai, I went home and there had been a prolonged drought and we went to go hunting and we turned this corner to like our regular spot. And there were about, a, it had to be about like a hundred deer, basically lying there, dying of malnutrition. Oh, wow. So they had essentially eaten themselves out of house and home. It's a small Island. You know, it's, uh, 11 miles by four miles, um, or sorry, 40 by 11. And there was no food left because there's no ecological balance here. There's no winter, like there's no hard winters. There's no predators. There's nothing like the only thing that balances that population is themselves. And so I turned the corner and this like resource, this incredible resource. That, and that's was my only relationship at that point. Like we love these animals. It's amazing resource. I was like, wait a second. Like, this can't be how this happens. Right. And he said, yeah, every 10 or 15 years this happens and that's what happens. And I was like, oh, there's, 
got to be a better way. And that was 23 years, 22 years ago. And so it started this like very slow obsession, both with the animal to better understand its biology, population dynamics, like get to know the animal really well. I started a nonprofit called the Access Deer Institute, got to know like the animal really well, and then gradually formed this plan that we could incorporate wild field harvesting into the USDA system. Um, and they had some rules, but like it just it took almost seven years to put together. Uh, and finally, very, very long story short, took about 10 years, but got all the approvals to basically produce food within the like bounds of the federal government um, and be able to start addressing this problem. And really cool. I don't think we've ever told this story before. It just happened. We were just celebrating with our teens. In October was the first month we've ever eaten enough deer to, dal- like, to balance populations. Oh, wow. So That's after- awesome. After 10 years of building, we ate enough food, like ate enough deer in October to actually like start to balance like what is the monthly addition of like deer every single month. So it was pretty cool. So we've come a, it's been a long, long road. And um, again, so excited to be building community around it and like great food and real clear, like the, our staff here knows the impact they have like Maui stays green and healthy and vibrant versus it being a dust bowl with no forest. Right. There's a real, like, so it's been awesome to uh, be able to build it and watch things grow and yeah, meet badass people like yourself. I, I haven't been to Hawaii in a long time, but the last time I was on Maui, they were having a problem with the wild, with the wild pigs, which were also yeah. invasive. And yeah. um my favorite spot over there was Hana and then out even past Hana where there's like, you know, Hana I loved because there were no TVs anywhere. And then you go even further and there's no electrical grid and it's just like dudes with solar power. Awesome. But they would like, I would take my kids out to this little like juice shack and, and the people who, who ran it would pick everything that morning and bring it down. And to make your smoothie, you had to get on a bicycle and ride it to power the blender like it was awesome but they were always going off to hunt these pigs that were you know messing up the forest basically and and nothing was planted in an agricultural way it was all just wild but the pigs were you know there were just too many of them and they weren't you know some pirates or you know english people whoever portuguese somebody brought them here as food and left them and and they got out of hand so i remember that yeah so deer deer didn't come to maui until like the 60s and 70s again one of the only deer species that can breed year round so populations are kind of increasing at 33 percent and so we've got 60 to 70 thousand right now on the entire island and unless we find more people to eat them, which we're getting there, we're going to have about 210 to 220,000 deer on Maui, which would just be like, yeah, it's going to be a mess. So working really hard to achieve that mission. Um, but for Hawaii, like it's one of the most vulnerable and isolated places on the planet. You drop anything here, like Hawaii evolved over epochs with no herbivores, nothing. So like you put anything here, like, our nettles are nettleless. Our mints are mintless. Like there's the the plants develop no defense mechanisms. So 
anything here is just like it's literally paradise, right? So they anything that you drop here proliferates and grows. And um, I think we get about a introduced invasive species every seven days now. Yeah, it's crazy. That's and crazy. and they're very careful about that. But I even remember there was something like somebody brought rats at one point and then somebody else brought like ferrets or something like that mongoose, mongoose to kill the rats but one of them was nocturnal yeah. and wasn't and like so now there was yeah it's hard you know and it's fragile yeah um and that's part of the challenge for us in the years to come is even at the point we are kind of sold out and trying to achieve balance with ranchers and community and hunters and everything else there's like climate is a hundred percent getting more like unstable. Like we get heavy rains and then drought. And like, so there's just going to be a constant balance to this, but ultimately in the end, it's, it's also serves as such an, and you recognize this as a food hunter. It's such an important food resource. It serves as such great food security when it's like in natural balance, you know, the, unfortunately I'm sure you know about those Maui fires and, and everything that happened there. And, you know, Lahaina was still burning and our teams were spooling up the same night because everybody in the community knew we were going to have to feed like 20,000 people the next day somehow. And we were able to harvest that night. We harvested 100 deer that night in four hours. And a day and a half later, they made something like 30,000 bowls of chili with it. Right. And that type of like food security when boats stop coming and like that stuff's really important and just like it was like through COVID and that only happens if ecosystems, food systems are healthy. That doesn't happen when there's like extreme imbalance. Um, I think the people that are squeamish about meat, like I completely understand morally going like factory farmed meat is gross. I get it. I totally get it. I have, I actually have no argument. I agree. Um, it doesn't stop me from eating it necessarily, but I com- I I actually agree. But when you're talking about the balance of an ecosystem, especially with an invasive species, that species will ruin the whole ecosystem and then eventually die out itself, and there will be nothing. Yeah, like that's the reality there. Yeah, we. Yeah, we feel really fortunate to, again, probably wasn't the plan, but like we get a vegan a week that writes or emails us and they're just like, I haven't eaten meat in 15 years. I found you guys, found your story. And it doesn't matter if they watched Cowspiracy 10 years ago or whatever it is, like doesn't matter if it's humane handling or ultimately why you have to eat that animal or what that animal is doing for themselves and then collectively for environment matters to people. Yeah. And yeah, we've um... ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better. Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I think we designed like the stress-free systems because we were hunters and we had a strong relationship like with the animal to start. We love the, like we didn't start with this being an invasive species. Like you heard that story, like I would have start, I probably would have started through college because I didn't have money for the cafeteria. Um, but we love this animal. We have a lot of respect for it. And I think it comes through in the design of like the systems we've made for harvesting and the fact that it is so nutrient dense and it is so good for this place. And it's good for community and it serves like serves food security and all these amazing other like, you know, benefits is just that it's just like this, this great added bonus of what we're trying to, to do here. So. Yeah. It's really amazing. What's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite cut? Oh man, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be boring, but you got kids. So, you know, like ground venison, Yeah, like that's how I started 20 years ago. Cause I can basically like last night we had, pizza with cauliflower crust. And I basically put like a three inch layer of ground venison. Actually, I've been feeding our kids our 95.5 blend. So that's 5% organ. It's got uh two and a half liver, two and a half heart. And it's at low enough inclusions that they can't taste it. Oh, I got to try that. Every oh. time I've tried to get my kids to eat, I, I really like liver. Like yeah. I, I was raised, my mom made me liver as a kid and I've just always liked it. Liver and onions, liver and bacon. Yeah. I, I like it. My kids will not eat it. So I never tried kidneys or heart or anything like that, but I, I, I will try with the 95, five, because that is, that seems like a, enough of a distinction that they could get it in without That's, really tasting it. Especially because the organs, like the organ densities in that study were bonkers, like 400 times the vitamin A of a beef liver. We were like, what? Um, so what's really cool is we can include them at small enough ratios that you can't taste them, but you get an absolutely meaningful increase in like micronutrients and some of like those major vitamins and minerals, and they can't taste it. So like cauliflower crust, pizza sauce, three inches of meat, some cheese, and they're like that it's chilies. It's all of those things. Cause I'm, I, mine, uh, Paliku is, so I've got like 14, 12 and 10. So they're like right in the middle of like bottomless pits for food. Right. Like they leave for school in the morning and they just grab like six sticks. I think they give half of them away, but, um, yeah, it, my, my go-to is just whatever's easiest to feed those kids every day, which is, which is a blast. Yeah. That's amazing. Jake, this is really exciting. I'm glad there's a place that we can buy wild game. Like it, I, I, when I first, when I first heard about it, I was like, no, they're wrong. Somebody's lying. Yeah. It's not true. 
I know about this federal law because I want to buy wild game and you can't yeah. here. But this is amazing. You found the loophole, you're doing it and you're doing it in a sustainable way and you're doing it for basically the ecosystem's sustenance. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, like, hey, thank you so much. We're always like super stoked to have these types of conversations, but to meet people that are building similar communities, having similar conversations, people that are like trying to do something better, be better. So I think, oh, I think me and you will be in touch for a long time, my friend. You might have to come over sure. and experience it for yourself. Yeah, I, I definitely want to. That would be insane. I, I want to see what you do. And I would, you know, if, if you really don't have to get a permit as an out-of-stater, because that's the hardest thing, getting a permit in a state you don't live in in America. It's so hard. You can go online and in 10 minutes, you'll have what you need to get out here and go hunting. It takes nothing. Wow. That's yeah. wild. That is yeah. so wild. I never heard of anything like that. I've tried um, Oregon and I've been on lotteries and, you know. Oh, I know. I like I do um, mule deer in Colorado every year because it that early season mule deer like forces you to go to these high elevation lakes. I Half the time I don't even harvest anything. It's just so beautiful. And I just sit and wait for my tag. I'm like, oh, please, can I have a tag? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can grab my bow and go out here tomorrow if I want. Um, so yeah, it, it's a, it is, it's an amazing opportunity for local hunters to feed their families. Ultimately what they do is like, isn't enough because the population is so just so virile. So there's an opportunity to both have hunting and commercial harvesting to feed people. And so it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great balance. It's really amazing. I'm so glad you're doing it. Jake, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. And now for the Q&A. Here's one from Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Anthony says, hello, Ethan and Paige. I am Anthony from Montana, originally from California, but I've been here 19 years. I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning. I even went back and listened to the first five that I missed. In October 2020, I was diagnosed with stomach cancer. After chemo and a complete stomach removal surgery in March of 2022, I was oh my able God. Yeah. I was able to return to work 40 hours a week and as of August, it has been a year since I returned to the gym. Uh, he says, I've been very grateful for your podcast before my diagnosis and now after the surgery. The episode about hydration helped me so much in the gym. I was not able to sweat before and now I can, so thank you. The question that I have has to do with protein. I no longer have any stomach, so I don't have any space. So I need to get as much protein as possible in small portions. My snacks are protein-based, and I even do bone broth for an extra boost. Do you have any suggestions for heavy protein in small portions so I can discuss it with my dietitian? Amazing. I, You know, uh, bizarrely enough, Anthony, I am working on a bone broth that has actually 25 grams of protein. You know, the most protein I've seen in a serving of bone broth, which is like a cup, is eight grams of protein. I think it was at the highest end. And I'm working on one that has 25 grams of protein. So when that's out, you can try that. Otherwise, I would just suggest whey protein or yogurt I, I would think whey protein would be easiest because it's liquid and you can drink it, but they, you know, if, if, if you have any aversion at all 
to whey, there's casein, there's good protein made out of egg whites or eggs, there's egg protein. That I mean, l- literally off the top of my head, whey is whey is my go-to multiple times a day. I'm I'm having whey protein multiple times a day. I find it to be a great snack. It's satiating. It gives me protein. I cannot imagine not having a stomach. And and what that I just guess you gotta kind of constantly eat little meals. Not constantly, but like frequently eat mm-hmm. little meals. Bone broth is a great idea. And I, I think the only thing I can really think of is whey protein and, and yogurt. Greek yogurt's got a ton of protein in it. And did I hear you say once in a recent answer to someone that you put sometimes protein powder in your yogurt? I always put protein powder in my yogurt because <laughs> 0% fat Greek yogurt does not taste great. I see. Yeah. So you're, you're adding some flavor to it. I want, yeah. I, get, <laughs> I want the flavor of the protein powder and it's, it's great. And sometimes I will um, make a little slurry and mix the protein powder with a small amount of water and then turn the yogurt into like a, a slightly more viscous concoction than yogurt. And other times I'll just dump protein powder and, and mix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Anthony, I like that you said you're going to check all that with your nutritionist. That's awesome. Yes. That's- how that works out. Yeah. Really good point there. Uh, and thank you so much for letting us know. Congratulations on getting through what you've gotten through and keep us posted. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. If anyone else has a question, you can always email us. It's hello at americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>